comic celebrity takes a back seat as a cigarette catches and sets off the smoke alarm. What do you make of the cool set in London? It constantly updating your. <laughs> There is a city by the sea, a gentle company. I don't suppose you want to. And as it tells its sorry tale in harrowing detail, its hollowness will haunt you. Its streets and boulevards, or fans and oligarchs and Good afternoon. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. Um, and today in the studio, Andrew Sean Greer. Um, welcome, Andy. Thank you. Thanks well, for having me. Man, how I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Andy chose the music uh, for the program today. We're going to be hearing some Decemberists and Death Cab for Cutie. Right on. So why, why this song Why this song first? Why do you love it, Andy? <laughs> I don't, well, it's actually it's about Los Angeles. I don't live there. I live in uh, San Francisco. But, you know, it was... Um, when I, my last book came out, I went down to Los Angeles with a writer friend of mine, Daniel Handler, Lemony Snicket. Lemony Snicket. And because he was supposed to read with me in order to draw an audience that I would never get, you know, they do that to you. And, um, or they do it to him. He did a great favor for me and he made me a, a CD for us to play in the car as we drove around. And it started out with that song. Oh, so Los that's Angeles, it's so it's US. always that moment then where yeah. you're, you're ahead of Sort of exciting, doing something with a friend, you know, it was fun. And which book was that for? That Andy? was the Confessions of Max Tivoli. Okay, so great. So, so the books that we've got on the table literally today are the Confessions of Max Tivoli and um, and Andy's other book, The Path of Minor Planets, um, and it's really kind of exciting because um, uh, well, you've got a new new book coming out. I do because right? this um, the Confessions of Max Tivoli um, was out. Um, in 2005 in paperback yes and so this is gonna the the hardcover for your next book is on deck for what's the release of in that may i guess which is may. sort of april it comes out for real <laughs> but yeah yeah it's it's coming up soon and i'm and I'm, i shouldn't be even talking about it but that's right it makes it all the more exciting and <laughs> <laughs> and dangerous. It's and, dangerous here. Right? And and the title of of that book is a story of a marriage. Yeah, the story of a the marriage. The story of a marriage. Okay. And um and usually just so to keep on track, I usually just pick a bio to read off of one of the books, Andy, t- oh, as, as an introduction. And it's really it's kind of great. Yours is yours is really short, so we'll have to fill in a little bit right. of of your biography um, afterwards. Um, but here, off of um, the Confessions of Max Tivoli. Um, Andrew Sean Greer is the author of the story collection How It Was for Me, and most recently a novel, The Path of Minor Planets. He lives in San Francisco. That's all it says on the back of that one? Yeah. <laughs> wow. What should we... I don't think there's much more from Path of... I just had to write the bio for the new book. It's really different. Really? What's So what, what did you say in this one? Because you wrote it. So, oh, yeah. well, What's... you have to pretend you didn't write it. Well, I think I had to... Well, I got Speak to Speak of add yourself another, in third person. And... The author of two books, three books this time. I got to have another book on there. And since then, I got... I won some awards, so I had to put those down, too. What what, would, a, what awards? I won. Is it, the, it was like the California Book Award and the National Book Award, and they had this absurd thing at the New York Public Library where they give an award. The, the Young Lions. The Young some, Lions Award. Yes. It's strange. It's for a writer under thirty-five, and Ethan Hawke runs it, and it's supposed to give attention to young writers, and so it takes place in the rotunda of the New York Public Library, which is beautiful, isn't which it? Which is so is beautiful, it? and there's a crowd of people and drinks, and he has Hollywood celebrities read. From five different <laughs> works of fiction written by an author under 35. And um, Oliver Platt read from mine. He's, I don't know if you know him. He's, um, I'm sorry, uh, I don't. What was he most recently <laughs> in? Oh, he's on a TV show. You would never miss him. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I can't, I can't quite remember. Well, if it comes to you, yeah. just like, just blurt it out at any time. <laughs> you know, and it was, it's people like, like Joan Allen or like, I forget who else, um, Griffin Dunn, isn't he? After Hours. 
Well, they're sort of celebrities. <laughs> no, they are. I'm sure they are. They're celebrities. <laughs> but it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting to, to for the for the writers to have this sort of. Um, Fomka Johnson. Do you know who that is? She was in the X Men. Oh, well, I loved that. So I can picture who <laughs> she, she was is. Like the Phoenix, Dark Phoenix <laughs> one, Doctor Jane. Oh Gray. yes, okay. Oh, yeah. she's there. Good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Finally, you've, you've pulled me. You've re- pulled me out of the river and resuscitated well, me there. Fomka I don't know. Is that a celebrity? What, it's um. What did what? Which book? Um, was it for? Um, one of the books or both of the books? It Andy, for, the recognition or or uh, uh, the Max Tivoli book. It oh, was okay. for the book itself, and I was just under 35 so it was like my only chance it was nice that i won it but was weird about being in a competition with people exactly your age because we were all 35 exactly is that it's everyone is someone you know so i was there with a friend of mine Stephen elliott who had a great book called happy baby that year and so it was weird i mean it was unfair you know he should have won an award and me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's funny to award under 35 because there's actually very few. And Granta does that too, yeah. brings that, like that's the age that they draw as well, that demarcation. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was even up for that, but I was too old for it. I know that by a month to even be nominated for the grant. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that strange? I'm too old for those awards now. Yeah. Oh, oh the world of awards. <laughs> it's absurd. <laughs> um, but I'm glad to hear you're a young lion. They can never, They can never take that away take from me. At 80, I'll still be a young lion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what, what part? Did you get to pick the part that they read at the, at the the that Oliver Platt read in the rotunda? Or, no. Well, how does they, that work? They did. It was all sort of a surprise. Prize. And they give you, they, because it's the library, they have your book bound in leather with gold writing on it and that they give to you, which is also a sort of a surprise. They give it back to you. It's they like give you've given back. a gift to the yes. book to the world and then they're like, and now we're going to bind it in some leather. <laughs> and I think everyone gets money or something. I think it's just, it's supposed to get you to feel like you've been noticed, yeah. even if you weren't noticed in some way. It's not. It's really nice. It sounds like you're kind of you're you're modest though, because you're saying earlier you said, um, "Well, you Lemony Snicket, Snicket brought a crowd that wouldn't have been, you know, like that." See, your book also is noticed by today's book club, right? So that yeah, I was on the Today Show notice. for it. it you must have been it. sort of fighting them back, sort of. I no, I was motioning them on. It was. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's weird in books because you get a lot of attention and then you. It actually isn't in the real scheme of things that much. Atten- you would still have a reading and there would be very few people. Like you just have to be. When you're on like a big one of the Like you're on book a book tour, you have so. to be prepared for for any number of people. Like certainly in Los Angeles, I don't think I could have gotten many people, but Lemony Snicket can bring 3,000 people to read. That's not who came to our reading, but, <laughs> but he can draw 3,000 people. You know, and that's a, just I could, a 40 people at a reading of mine is a really, really great crowd. And I think it's normal for most writers. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it also, it's like people who really do care about yeah, your books. Yeah, devoted like you have, people. Yeah. And not 12-year-old. Right. His fans. <laughs> or people in, in, in bizarre, you know, zombie Halloween yeah, costumes yeah, or yeah. something. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> we never say anything wrong with with that. Um and so, so now, and and so, what else did you write in your bio? So you added these these awards, and and we know from what I just read that you live in San Francisco. Um, you've lived in other places too. We can maybe fill that in. You yes. you went to school in Montana, right? I did. To get I the went M- to, MFA I, there. Exactly. Yeah, I went to grad school in uh, University of Montana, in Missoula, Montana. I moved there. I lived in New York City before that. I was an East Coast guy. Oh. And then I I decided to change everything and moved to Montana which was a real change. And I never moved back from what I considered to be the West. Right. You know, and I lived in Seattle after that for a couple of years and then San Francisco. And, um, and your brother too, you have a, a, a yeah, brother. I have an identical twin brother. Yeah. And he, uh, he's lived a couple places, but now he lives across the street from me in San Francisco. It's adorable, isn't it? That's yeah. really great. That's really lucky. Isn't yeah. It? It's good. So I can feed his cats when he's away and that kind of thing. And vice, vice versa. Do you have yeah. a parrot? No, I'm just kidding. No, that would just be... from the. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh yeah, the path. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, it, there's a parrot in the path of minor planets for there those is. listeners. But who... that was actually that was when I lived in San Francisco. This is 
tells you how novels are written. There's a, in the book, it's a guy who's sick in his uh, room and he's listening to the parrot and he can't figure out what the parrot has been taught to say something and he can't figure out what it was. Well, I that there was a parrot next door who I could not figure out. It was driving me crazy what it had been trained to say. And it was, it was a joke among all my friends and there, a friend had a daughter who would come over and she referred to our house as jackpot was the name of our house because that's what we thought the parrot was saying. <laughs> Jackpot. Jackpot. But you couldn't figure out why I would say that. And why they would teach that particular All phrase. All day right? long. <laughs> jackpot. Jackpot. So it, It's it, kind of positive, though. I it's guess. Like you're a winner. <laughs> we had a lot of other theories about what it said, but that's what we told the daughter. And um, and it, it made it into the book because I was sitting there trying to figure out what to write about. And jackpot. <laughs> jackpot. Over and over. Did you ever find out or did you leave it at jackpot? We talked to the woman because it was, drove me crazy. And uh, she had a fascinating life story, but she had no idea her bird could talk at all. So so the bird only spoke when she was away? <laughs> it only spoke when she was away, only to me. <laughs> Through the wall. <laughs> Through the wall. Her bird, she said, she had not taught it to speak. So it to her, it didn't speak. It was a sort of depressed bird. It wasn't in a cage. It was it roamed around the house. And um, she had owned the house for, she had, you know, she was interesting. But I wonder if you could house train parrots. Like, what would that entail? I know. It didn't seem like she'd house train hers. But well, I also was, you know, I was a bad neighbor. I was going over there to see if there was a way to keep the parrot from talking. No, that seemed, well, if <laughs> it was she, driving you crazy. Yeah. Well, but she she could not control it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to be done. It did eventually go away. I don't know what happened. Hmm. <laughs> that sounds kind of. I don't know. Yeah, sure. You don't know what happened, yeah. Andy. Is that where? Do you write at home? Is that part of the reason why you were probably? You must stop saying jackpot now. Yes, I'm going mental slightly. And... Yeah, I, not anymore. After I um, eventually I decided to not because of that, but um, I think because of the internet, I decided to rent a office outside my house in someone's mm. basement, which is where I work now. Where you can go and there's no internet, there's just books and your novel. In front is that of you. is that where Cheever used to write too? Maybe oh in, in yeah, your that's right. Like, cause, yeah, because then you're also sort of enclosed, aren't you? And yeah, there's not even of, like the windows to look out at the beautiful scenery. You I do of, have a window. You do, so I don't go crazy. But it's not much of a well, window. That's, yeah, because I guess maybe it's better not to think that. <laughs> yeah. In San Francisco, yeah, I could get out if I needed to. Or yeah. <laughs> well, it's on a hill, so the window has. Oh, you could see a little something, uh-huh. so a little little vision. But it's <laughs> it's nice. It's warm and comfy in there. I mean, it's not very glamorous, but I think a lot of writers do that. I think Mark Twain had a little cabin out back that would turn so that he could catch the sun. The cabin itself turned. The cabin turned, so he, the sun would always be going into his through that, the window. It's funny. That sounds like something your characters, the astronomers in the path of minor planets, would would rig. <laughs> oh, like, I like that idea. Like yeah. That. <laughs> Um, well, let's uh, let's take a short break. You're listening to The Living Writer Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today uh, we have Andrew Sean Greer with us. We'll be right back. They've come to find you When 
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Living Writer Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today, Andrew Sean Greer. And it's especially exciting because um, Andy has a new book coming out that we mentioned, um, uh, uh, a story of uh, the story of a marriage, and uh, he's going to read. You're going to read for us. I am. I just haven't read very much from it. So uh, I'm going to read from sort of the beginning. Um, and it's a it's a woman talking, which will be confusing because you're hearing me. But um, <laughs> And she's remembering a time around World War II and how she met her husband. I was there with Holland in World War II. He loved that I talked like a book and not like any of the other girls. And when the time finally came for him to go into the army, I watched him step onto that bus and head to war. It was a lonely grief for a young girl. It never occurred to me that I could leave as well, not until a government man walked up to our house and asked for me by name. I tromped down in my faded sundress to find a very ruddy and clean-shaven man wearing a lapel pin of the Statue of Liberty in gold. I coveted it terribly. His name was Mr. Pinker. He was the kind of man you were supposed to obey. He talked to me about jobs in California, how industries wanted strong women like me. His words, they were rips in a curtain, revealing a vista to a world I had never imagined before. Airplanes, California, it was like agreeing to travel to another planet. After I thanked the man, he said, well then as thanks you can do a favor for me. To my young mind, it seemed like nothing special at all. Now that sounds like the first bright idea you ever had, my father said. When I mentioned leaving, I can't find any memory in which he held my gaze as long as he did that day. I packed my bags and never saw Kentucky again. On the bus ride to California, a river all in flood spread to the south along the road, miles of trees growing up out of the water. I had never seen a thing like that in all my life. It was as if the world had been enchanted all along and no one told me. As for the favor the man asked of me, it was perfectly simple. He just wanted me to write letters about the girls around me in the shipyard and the planes and conversations I overheard, everyday rituals, what we ate, what I wore, what I saw. I laughed to think what good it would do him. Now I can only laugh at myself. The government must have been looking for suspicious activities, but he didn't tell me that. He told me to pretend I was keeping a diary. I did my duty. I did it even when I left my first job to become a wave only a few other girls from the community like mine, spreading noxema on our pimply faces, the girls' rears shaking to the radio, getting used to Coke instead of ration coffee and Chinese food instead of hamburgers. I sat down every night and tried to write it all down, but I found my own life lacking. It hardly seemed worth telling. Like so many people, I was deaf to my own stories. So I made them up. In the handwriting my mother had taught me, tall and loyal and true, signed with a special slipknot P for Pearly I had vented at the age of nine, mailed to Mr. William Pinker, 62 Holly Street, Washington, D.C. What did you do in the war, Grandma? I lied to my country, pretending to tattle on friends. I'm sure I was just one of thousands. I'm sure it was just a clearing house for lonely hearts like me. Imagine the ad jingle. Be a Finker from Mr. Pinker. <laughs> Thank you. That's Thanks, it. Sure. Andy. That was fun to do. <laughs> That's a great one. Oh, I was just going to say, well, why don't we just, why don't you keep reading? <laughs> no, I don't have any more. And smile <laughs> and, and be read to. Oh, thank you. That's, that's wonderful. A little, um, well, that's so that's and from the new book. From the new book, it's set in uh, 1953. So that's her sort of memory of, of the war. And uh, it's set in San Francisco. And she's from Kentucky. From Kentucky, which is where my grandmother is from. But I, and it's based on a story my grandmother told me about her life. And um, I really didn't feel like set a story in rural Kentucky. I just didn't have the chops for it. I'm just a city boy. It would, it would take a, a lot of research. and Yeah, a and, lot of trips to Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> so I, I, I moved her to San Francisco and set it there. Well, that seems, yeah, a little well, easier. well, you have a, a predilection for the West now, ever since Montana, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and I, actually, I, I was wondering, um, in your other books, it seems as though you've, you've started, the, the books start with quotes, um, with Max 
Tivoli, we have the the Proust, um, love ever unsatisfied, lives always in the moment that is about to come. And that seems like, uh, that could, that almost seems like it would be solid for both of these I think, books. or maybe, maybe the book. new one too. Yes. Yeah. Um, can, that seems like a, somehow an, an, a, a concern, something that, um, I think so. I think I, I I mean, it's hard to figure yourself out in this way when you're writing stuff, but I think in all of them, well, I mean, it's, you couldn't really write a book about a totally satisfying love that had no problems. There would be nothing happening in the book exactly. And I think it's sort of, and does that even exist? Does it exist? I mean, you have this sort of idea of the one you love that is always half made up because half of it's you reacting to them. Mm -hmm. So you are, always have some sometimes you hold on hoping this other thing will happen um and sometimes you're clinging to a past version of them or just something you've wholly invented even in a really good relationship you know it's an invention between the two of you what the relationship or marriage is and i think this new book is about i'm not married but um i see a lot of marriages and i'm at the age where lots of friends i'm actually at the age where the divorces are starting to happen after the marriages so i'm i it you see, and it's not who you think is going to divorce, you know? You really can't quite tell what's going on between two people because it's not shown to anyone else. It's um, it's something they've got together, and you're surprised who stays together, and you're surprised who splits up, and it's you'll never get it. And I, I wonder if they do, you know? And that's kind of what the new book is about. And that you spent, yeah, you can tell that you've spent... Um, Time in the basement giving this thought. Does <laughs> it sound that way? I guess. Yeah. I haven't talked about it yet, but I've, I've, I guess so. It's time in the basement with someone else's marriage. Right. right. Well, it's like, um, it's interesting because when you think about it, each of us, like when in our relationships, it is, it's so interesting. It's so true what you said that part of the relationship is the invention that we have about it. That, well, it's kind us. of beautiful too. I don't think it's necessarily it sad. Yeah. Because it's or, greater well, it's, than that. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, it's, 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 I mean, that's why you're, what you're in it for is that it's more, it's the two of you together can kind of come up with something larger and exciting, something to live for and something to rely on, you know, with this third thing, mm. which is the relationship. And it's, I think it's really lovely, but it's also, it is fragile and it's not entirely real because they had that strange thing you see when people, uh, I keep talking about divorce, but when they divorce, they're getting along great until like the day before. And then the day after, when they tell you they're splitting up, suddenly, suddenly hate each other. Something, they let go of that fantasy they had together and it's totally over. It's not, it, it's not a gradual fade in Even some way. Even though that's not really the truth of it either. No, they're right? connected yeah. forever in this other <laughs> right. way. But they, they try to let go. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting how, 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 how it can be such a huge thing and they'll go on vacation and they'll be happy, you know, and then it, they were just lying for that last part or it didn't sustain them or someone else came along. Is that many, many reasons? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't um, want to give away what happens yeah, in no, mine. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, but, but the invention part of that, when we're, we're in these relationships with people, it's, it's wonderful how that connects to the, the art of writing too, how that's like as a writer of, of these, these novels you're you're the, you're always spending time inventing these stories and and so it's it's interesting that you can see that in the the lives and the hearts of 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 people anyways and that becomes the the some of the foundation or the the the, the germination of of your characters oh that's nice i think also this will sound too pretentious but that the reader does a large part of the invention I mean, it's kind of nice that as a writer, you know, a director, if you have like a castle on a mountain, you have to build the whole thing or as much as we see to make it real. But I just have to say a couple things and the reader fills out everything in that castle. You know, they totally, they furnish it for me. So I have an easy job for a lot of it. And for a lot of the characters, they fill out the characters. I find not necessarily the way I would have. They don't, they see them a little differently because I only can say so much about them and they... They, they draw the rest in, sort of as they, as they like. And how how would you 
How did you come to this? Is it because of what you know to be your experience reading other people's work? Or is it um, experiences that you've had talking with some of your readers? Maybe... um, Maybe even people who've come up to you on the tour, because then you're kind of not expecting someone else to tell you about a character, perhaps. I think that's it. I think I wasn't used to that at all. And then with the Confessions of Max Tivoli, I had people, I realized very quickly that the book was read as a romantic, a book of romantic love, and that people were using it in their wedding vows or on their on sort of Valentine pages to each other. If I if I am vain enough to do a Google search on the book, <laughs> which I now and then you cannot help yourself, then you find it's really touching. You have teenagers who writing it in their blogs about and to me the novel is a little bitter about love. It's not quite but I just, I shouldn't even say anything. I love it that it's taken that way. That's so interesting, though. Like, can you give an example of what was a part of the book where people would, so they'd quote it directly? Well, for instance, just... the very first line of the book is one that people will quote. It is, um, we are each the love of someone's life, which is really, yeah, I guess, a very romantic, sentimental statement. And it's um, in the book, eventually you you they might not love you back. You might not love them back. You know, that they, you were the love of their life, but it's not returned because you were sort of attached to someone else. And there's a sort of sadness to that, the way when we're really young, we attach to people almost by accident. And then you really attach strongly to them and you just, ha- they just have to be there at the time you were so tender. Open. So yeah, yeah so you open were so open yeah. and it, and, and it, it's hard to think of an example where it works out really great. But it can work out really poignantly where you think back nicely on it. That's usually how it goes. But um, a lot, of, I have not a lot of people, but I know the wedding vow. They will say, "We are each the love of someone's life," and then talk about you they're just, each the love of each other's life. Right, but that is but not just, what happens no, in the it, book. No, it's not. not to give, <laughs> I'm sure we're not giving anything away, right? Because, like you said earlier, what you can't really write that book necessarily like oh yeah there's not much to that We're, book yeah there's lots of skipping and whistling <laughs> but i think but you know i think a lot of i've been and i've been surprised how many teenagers were into it because i think it's sort of a victorian novel a little but i think they like they think of it as a passionate book or something like that yeah oh definitely and maybe there's this quality that um because uh the max has this strange uh, Oh, yeah, I guess I should explain that. It's a book about a man who is born in the body of a very old man in Victorian San Francisco, and he gets younger and younger throughout his life. So he's he's writing it. He's a 12-year-old boy writing the story of his life. But he's really the old man. Yeah, but he has inside, the mind of an the, old man. The shell of the, or yeah. not shell, but, um, well, uh, well, let's, let's take a short break and then we'll come back. And uh, you're listening to The Living Writers Show today, Andrew Sean Greer. Um, we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. I'm T. Hetzel. And today, Andy Greer, a- Andrew Sean Greer is here with us. And um, right now, he's going to read from the Confessions of Max Tivoli. Um, 
which is so funny. For some reason, I keep wanting to mispronounce it. Everyone Tivoli says Tivoli, or, yeah. But it's, but isn't is it um is it a theater in San Francisco where you took the name from, or how did you come up with that name? I took it from um, uh, a sort of a playground in uh, Copenhagen called Tivoli Gardens, and um, but there was also there was a theater called the Tivoli in San Francisco, and there was like a burlesque house called the Tivoli, and there was a lot of a wonderful history Tivoli's. behind it. There's a lot <laughs> garden, there's a theater. Very close class. to me, there's an old Victorian house called Chateau Tivoli that was an opera house, I guess. I, Wow. Plenty of Tivoli's. But I wanted it to sound kind of like a wonderland because there's something fantastic about him. An old world sound. Old world sound. It does. Yeah. Well, well so you're going to read something I'll for read us, just right, the Andy? very beginning of it. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, here's what we were talking about. We are each the love of someone's life. I wanted to put that down in case I am discovered and unable to complete these pages, in case you become so disturbed by the facts of my confession that you throw it into the fire before I get to tell you of great love and murder. I would not blame you. So many things stand in the way of anyone ever hearing my story. There's a dead body to explain, a woman three times loved, a friend betrayed, and a boy long sought for. So I will get to the end first and tell you we are each the love of someone's life. I sit here on a lovely April day. It keeps changing all around me. The sun alternates between throwing deep shadows behind the children in trees and then sweeping them back up again the moment a cloud crosses the sky. The grass fills with gold and then falls to nothing. The whole schoolyard is being inked with sun and blotted, glowing and reaching a point of great beauty, and I am breathless to be in the audience. No one, noticed, no one else notices. The little girls sit in a circle, dresses crackling with starch and conspiracy, and the boys are in the baseball fields or in the trees hanging upside down. Above, an airplane astounds me with its roar and schoolmarm line of chalk. An airplane. It's not the sky I once knew. And I sit in a sandbox, a man of almost sixty. The chill air has made the sand a bit too tough for the smaller kids to dig. Besides, the field's changing sunlight is too tempting, so everyone else is out there charging at shadows, and I'm left to myself. Thanks for, for reading some some the beginning sure. for us. Um, yeah, it's such a... It's how, um, this might not be the the best of questions, uh, <laughs> but I was trying to think about the idea because now that we now that the listeners and probably a lot of people have read read the book too, right? Mm -hmm. And um, but this idea of going when you're writing it, when you're looking at an idea like this, um, do you come up with a problem? Like, what came to you for this book? This particular book was it that you wanted to think about, like? how love could re return at these different times. Cause you, like in the, the line where uh, a woman three times, three times loved. loved yeah. And so that means like, it seems to have returned like left and returned or, or well, so what I thought in a different it, way. Because it's, I, I did think when I first thought of a man aging backwards, it's not really a plot for a book. It's not very much to it. But it was that the first thought. That was Andy? the first thought was okay. that, and it actually didn't interest me very much. And, but then when I came back to it for a novel idea, I thought of what maybe it, it could let me do and I thought it could let a young man he could fall in love with a girl she could reject him well he'd be an old man but then 15 years could pass he could meet her again she wouldn't recognize him and he'd be younger better looking and he could have another chance to get her to fall in love with him and that interested me I thought that's human that's something we all might like to be able to do and it's a real emotion that I could write about and not just a fantasy and I could have him do that three times in the book. Try to get her, try to get the person who rejected you before to love you this time. And, um, and that's really the structure of the book. And everything else sort of is all around that. Yes. Okay. Because I, yeah, I was. <laughs> it does sound like a romantic book now, I know, but it's. Well, it's also about um, being alone, how you're alone with things and, and how, and how you mentioned earlier that it's not necessarily, even though that's a, a beautiful, we are each the love of someone else's life or someone's life. Um, it doesn't mean that that's, you're the love of their life. Yeah. And so that's the sadness in that being alone and, and this, the character by the very nature of what he's going through, even though he has a dear friend that, um, Anyway, I won't we say anything. Go into, yeah, it. I won't go into that part of it. But um, 
yeah, that where you're just alone. You're alone with her, and and you've made it a very a very um, unique situation to show that in a way because you've got this 60 year old man or so in the sandbox and it must be around 1941 i guess when yeah it, um yeah it's fair it's a it's sort of lonely i think that was the other thing that interested me was just the experience and i think both teenagers and much older people have this experience of that you don't feel like the person people see right the body they're meeting is not who you really are they need to be either take they need to be taking you more seriously you know, and I'm almost at the age where I look in the mirror and it's a little unfamiliar. You know, I'm 37 and already I'm like, well, I, that's not who I thought I was going to see. Right. Yeah, exactly. What are, and it's not what are, fair. <laughs> you know, I had there was a great the NPR reporter, um, Susan uh, Stamberg, interviewed me and she's, I think, maybe 60 or something. And um, and I asked her, I said, well, who, who do you think of inside when you look in the mirror? Who are you expecting to see? And she said, 38, 38-year-old 38 woman. Mm, it's yes. shocking every time. And that's, what, and that's what she still feels like you're walking around. Yeah. And as long as, yeah. And I'm not yet 38, but when I get there, I'm going to think, this is it. I'm Susan Stamberg's interior person. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stay this way. <laughs> yeah. No matter what I look like. Yeah, look around. Absorb it, because yeah. this might be my... This is m- it, yeah. permanently. <laughs> you should email her, give her a ring, and say, well, now I know no, what here you Here I am. <laughs> but that was it. I think a lot of people responded to that about the frustration and i think and i, I think teenagers too that's it's not why fair. when you mentioned that they they were using that like they, they could really connect to it and were in their blogs and i was thinking i bet that's why because they feel like they do you know you you understand so much more than you're given credit for and and um and in a sense, you know, that's what things were expected of, of Max way before he was ready to feel the expectations and yes, connect to them. Yeah. But, but, but so, yeah. Because he has some teenager experiences when he's, when he's a teenager, but looks like an old man. He's, right. <laughs> people think he's an old man and can handle some things. So innocent still. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it seems like the psychology of love is something that you're really like thinking about the experience, um, from many different angles is something that you're really interested in. Are you, it kind of reminded me of, um, of Lawrence Durrell. I was wondering what some of your influences are like reading, um, the quartet with Justine where the, he really, Durrell goes really, I've never read it. I should, you're recommending it to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And to everyone (laughs) (laughs) resuscitate the quartet, bring it back. Um, is it gone? Well, no, 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 that's not actually somebody told me it was having, it was having another heyday. No people. I think you find like, it might be one of those things that you find, when you need it or something or it's given to you at that moment when you need it because I used to work in a bagel shop and um this um oh I was reading Justine I'd just been given it and uh uh, an old man came up to me and he had like a cap and he said oh I see uh oh I see you've discovered the quartet and at that point I didn't even know there were four books I just was looking at this one called Justine you know um what an amazing experience oh but 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 the psychology of love you too are very you getting into the minds of many different characters and it seems like with the path of minor planets um you you had uh this was your first that was my first novel, novel and yeah. is this the order that you wrote them in too andy the path of minor planets and then max and i did yeah okay well this one and the path of minor planets is the the structure of it is that there's a comet that returns every just for people listening um every Oh, why I even forget now 14 years or something oh but you see the characters should have done every, the math it's okay I've like forgotten the now dates. We can... every seven years you see seven. the characters and they, they've they've changed in surprising ways and you sort of follow this comet they're all astronomers watching it so they reunite when the comet returns and it's an ensemble way of coming yeah. to the story of the lives and minds of people because you're seeing more here we have more of Max's interior right. only and then here we have many people many of the characters and they're interconnections yeah, yeah. and you go back and forth and but, watch them age and but isn't that interesting that that's also kind of a parallel this returning like you use the comment as a way of having them return um as you like uh, coming like burning through each other's lives or whatever yeah. it would be but like the same with max you had like these moments of return for the love yeah but then it's gone and, and i guess so I, yeah yeah i think the it's well it's nice to have a structure just as a novelist like that of return because it lets you gives you something to hang on to and i think also it just sounds so pretentious but it's just um 
I was interested in the passage of time and how it affects the emotions like that. So in, in Path of Minor Planets, it's really sped up. It's you see them on a single day and then seven years pass and you see them on another day and you have to figure out what happened and why they changed. They don't love that person anymore for some reason. What happened? And um, in Max, it's reversed. The new one, it's uh, normal, I think, <laughs> but I haven't really thought about it much. I mean, it must be doing something. There is, it's told with great retrospect on trying to figure out a situa- six months of her marriage and something very peculiar that happened. Um, and so there's a lot of, of sense of like, now that so much time has passed, she has sympathy and understands people that at the time, when she was young, she could not understand. And and it's interesting because in the, I, maybe in both, but definitely in the path of minor pr- planets, one of your characters, Kathy, she, of all the characters, really feels like she has, like an understanding of other people and and maybe and her husband and um, but there's like that this wonderful moment where she's there's already been sort of the disaster in mm-hmm. the life um, and expectations and um, but then she there's a note in the margin of a book that her husband had intended for her to read much earlier than she came across it. And, and then to know that you had no understanding of it. That is, that was actually, that was, that was taken from my life that I, um, a relationship was long, long over. And I came through a book and found a note in the margin. I was meant to read, really read while we were together. And the note basically said, it said, I love you. You're wonderful. And I just couldn't believe it. It meant it was real that it had it. I hadn't imagined the relationship. You know, it was right. It had meant what it had. It was no longer. You know that that love was no longer there, but it had had been there enough for it to be written down. And so I, I put it in the book so that she could have that strange, out of sequence experience, that is um, really sad but really um, heartbreak. It was wonderful. But you have the book still. What was your? What was the book? What was the book that? um, Oh, it was like a book for class. It was in college. I was um. What was it? You know, I think it was actually not for class. I think it was Armstead Maupin's Tales of the City. Yeah. I, and <laughs> I, I wonder if, were you, uh, were you intended to, um, do you think you were intended to read it a lot earlier than you came back to yes, reading it? Yes, for sure. I well. think okay. I was reading it um, and I just, I put it down and I didn't get to that part yet. Oh man. And I was and like six back? months later, I went back. Yeah. Oh. I actually told this, and I know it was Armstead Maupin because I, I told this story um, at a sort of a tribute to him about yeah yeah how strange is it that like he would (laughs) never know that um that that had figured so importantly as a moment of 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 understanding understanding, no matter um, so i yeah i I gave it to a character and but you leave it open for the character for kathy like we don't know what we see some action that she takes after it because it's near the end of the book so i don't want to talk about it too much like in case it spoils anything but but we don't know what she does with it yeah yeah, it is. It's did very you open. intend that? Like, like to? I did. I think if I went back, I would close that book a little tidier. But I left it very because for me, the idea, I just, it, we were just capturing a small cycle in their lives that was going to go on like this forever. So it it ends kind of open ended. That time was going to keep going on, and and that she might reunite. She with might reunite. Her, yeah. Well, yes, and you um. And you, and you also, I think, cause there's lots of real sadness in that book and things that just don't miss, miss moments. Sad, and, <laughs> um, but, but then you, but it's interesting cause then you have, um, a, a, another character that kind of comes more to the fourth towards the end of the book, Josh. And there's like an element of hope where it's wonderful things can happen. So you do try to give to us that. the yeah. hope there that, um, <laughs> I tried to do that. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, well on that hopeful note, let's <laughs> let's take a break. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor and we'll be right back with Andrew Sean Greer. My mother birthed me 
Welcome back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show. My name is T. Hetzel, and today, Andrew Sean Greer in the studio. Um, and we've been talking about his his new novel that's going to come out in April, May, that interesting month of April, May April, for May. publishing, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the story of a marriage, and then also his, his other two books, and uh, The Confessions of Max Tivoli and The Path of Minor Planets and, um, and how there's... Um, and also, I should mention how it was for me. That was a collection of short stories. It's a collection of short stories, uh, long did, ago. Did you write those when you were in Montana? I did. Is that the- a number of those I wrote in Montana, and it was a weird... I was sort of a writer of fantasy, in a way, when I was arrived there. And Max Tivoli is a little fantasy in it. But And I was persuaded to write sort of realistic fiction, and those were the first realistic stories I wrote. By who? What do you mean by, by persuaded to? By faculty, because really, workshops... It's all about realism. It's kind of what they do. And it's a frustrating in a way if you're doing something different. And so I think just, I was very, maybe very angry. And I wrote a story. I thought, I'll show them. I'm going to write <laughs> a realistic story with scenes and <laughs> characters. And yeah. I will hear what they have to say I'll about show that. <laughs> of course, they loved it. It was the first thing I ever published. It's one of my favorite stories. And it was, I, you know, I wrote when I was 24, I think. But I really, um, I thought, oh, no. I think I'm not good at the other thing. I think I'm good at this thing. Oh, too bad. You know, because it wasn't, I'd wanted to be, I don't know, Kurt Vonnegut or something. And I was becoming Cheever, which I was, but you know, when you're 24, you kind of want to be clever and not emotional. And um, I I had to actually kind of look at it and say, I think I, I think emotion is what I should be writing, even if it's not satisfying in that way cleverness can be and so you know cleverness isn't lasting it's not very lasting and like max tivoli is a little clever the idea of him aging backwards but it's a book about emotions well we talked about that right and that's what you found interesting you said the idea wasn't wasn't interesting until you found the emotion in it yeah and that's i i learned it from that i think i wouldn't have you know when the path of minor planets has a clever idea of a comet returning but it's about the emotions of the people i hope and so that's the, yeah, that was, that's what those short stories came out of, was practicing that. And they're all over the place. I mean, I recommend the book, but it's, you can see me trying to figure out what I want to do as a writer. The very last story is, is the one I talked about. That's my favorite. And, and is, is that something that you'll continue to do, like trying to figure out what, or do you feel that you know what you want to do as a writer? Like, no, what does I that mean, think, Andy, to I you? know, it's, it's, I think everyone, you start out with a blank slate and you don't want to do what you did last time. Um, Even though your publisher would like you to do what you did last time, uh, you are setting a new challenge. Well, I know Michael and Dajay, when he finishes a book, he he says he thinks he's never going to write another book because he he did that. He's not going to do it again. And so he writes something different each time. Or like the Australian writer, Peter Carey, every book is vastly different from the last. You can see him trying out something new. So, um, you know, my my latest book is does not have a fantastical premise like like Max Tivoli. It's the same material in that it's about emotions and love and time passing and it's historical, but it is uh, realistic. It's set over six months. You know, I had to. Oh, so a very different time very frame short, than the instead of the sixty other. years, it's, right? <laughs> and or yeah, this one, thirty yes, years. Exactly. It's, I set a new challenge for myself, which is to do a kind of daily life, which was hard actually but was new for me and um and what are you what do you have a current project or is it something with your writing method do you have rest parts where your mind is mulling over ideas or do you always have like a few projects going or different types of writing Um, well i had i I think i learned my lesson when um because i had these first two books that came out and mostly when books are published you go out you do readings and then it's over you go back to your writing there's no real 
to do. And Max Tivoli, there was a little to do. You know, there was, I get to go on the Today Show and you could spend a week preparing for that. What am I going to wear? What did you tell my mom? You know, you can really lose time because it's so new to you. And, um, and also it's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen again. So it's sort of a special attention that a book gets if you're lucky. And uh, I, but it took me a while to start on a new book because it was so fun just to be publishing a book that people were reading. <laughs> right. So this time I got my act together and because uh, it, it took me uh, about a year to get started on a new book. And this time I've got a new project that I'm starting next month, but I still needed to take time after finishing it somehow to, re, to regroup, you know, to fill everything back up again. So I worked on, I've been working on a, like a illustrated story with a great um, artist in San Francisco who approached me. I thought that would be a nice change. Oh, definitely. Is it, when you say illustrated story, does that mean more of um, not like a graphic novel? Not or quite more a graphic like a novel. Young, young person's or? It's going to be, we're still figuring it out. Oh, great. Okay. You know? <laughs> well, then maybe better just to, yeah. I don't know. You got a mullet. Let's wait you till can't. it comes out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Paul Madonna is his name. And he drives these oh. beautiful things. Um, but without people in them, they're always backgrounds. So there's no action in them. So I have to provide the action with the with the words with the words underneath. This is the story, and he has the sort of backdrops or thoughts of people. It's gonna be a little wow. I so guard. Yeah, I, w- <laughs> I don't. I yes. hope not. It's a murder mystery, though. So it's still <laughs> it's, with no people in with the frame. No people in the frame. Oh, good luck to you, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. Well, I wonder if the frames are going to be then what the characters themselves see, or if that's interesting. I we mean, are it's figuring really it out. Yeah, it's almost like um, your version of of writing um, writing uh, a novel without the letter E. Yes, <laughs> in a way. Right? Well, I figured the drawings were his problem. <laughs> I just have to write the story. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's his deal. I hope he doesn't hear this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, we'll be sending him the link to the <laughs> podcast. Don't worry. I love you, Paul. <laughs> no, that's that sounds like a great project. And so, but you um, do you do you also have um like a journal that your notebook that you're working yeah, in always? I've been researching so constantly... a, a new book and taking notes on it and sort of building up to start it soon. So so okay. And you've got the basement, so you've got. The, I have the basement. The, that set. I have it set up. I'm going to a friend's house for a week in order to start the book. I'm just going to hole up. So is that what you do? Is it so? It's something that you feel like you have to market. Like this is the this is the beginning. I think so. Is I that, think it yeah. it sounds it seems fun to to have a known beginning and like a you know when you started it and it's sort of a you know elaborate. That's event. that's its birth of men. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so when you went, were you like a, a wee lad when you knew you were gonna like when when haven't you written? Were you were you always writing? Were yeah, you writing I, in a sandbox like Max was? I kind <laughs> of always was. I was in. I remember in fifth grade, I was writing what I thought was a novel, which is a couple pages of something. But I was just always loved to do it. You know, just loved sent out wrote a novel when I was sixteen that I sent to publishers and got turned down. So I've been trying it. For a long time really really a lot of bad novels that i've written but you're supposed <laughs> to have to write those right and so yes, you got that out, of, got the way out early. of the way <laughs> yeah. very early and it's wonderful that you also just didn't put it in a drawer you were like i'm 16 and i want to introduce and you to my novel sent it out oh, it that's a so wonderful bad. story <laughs> no but it was great to have done i mean i i wrote a 200 page novel it was so i'd already God, yeah. struggled with form and that sort of thing so i kind of I had to, get to to even to have the struggle of it because you can't even know it. You can be like, yeah, 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 novel form, whatever, like structure. Yeah. But until you're in it, you probably can't really know I it. I think huh? that's it. That's that's what I'm always telling students who are working on novels. I'm just get to the end. It's going to be <laughs> fascinating for you to go all the way to the end. Don't mess with the first part yet. And and so is that how you work? Like get it get it through? Because the the language that you have in there too. I was when you were reading from. Um, the story of a marriage, Andy, like you, these phrases, like he loved me, uh, because I talked like a book. He was the kind of man you were supposed to obey. Like oh, that's so nice. Very, well, well, there's so many l- lovely moments with language that you have. So, well, um, thanks. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to work when you're sitting there. A lot of times you work 
just with the language it's all you have and you're trying to find sort of a way into the character's head a lot of times it's things you add later if you want to have more depth but often it's what you come up with a lot of those i think are what i sat down and wrote that day and didn't change near the beginning um yes but it's sort of my favorite favorite part the plotting is the hard part <laughs> getting the structure and plot of it together and and so when you when you're but it sounds like in some of these stories you have like sketched out in your mind some some way. where are the where are the surprises for you Andy when you're writing then cuz it it must be then from what you've said in the some of this the beautiful language that that comes in that part and the pushing forward of it but when um are there any um things where you thought ah well I know they're going back to the island in the path of the minor mm-hmm. versions, right um but then they didn't go or you know what I mean like were there the, wh- everyone has surprises and it's often I've read about in 150 pages of the book before I realize I've got it all wrong and I have to start back at page 50 or something every one of these books that's happened like really? there's a disaster that happens in Path of Minor Planets that was not in my plans was that when the when someone dies yeah when someone dies sort of early in the book yes and it reverberates throughout the novel yes. and it feels like it's the heart of the novel well it was not my plan to do that but suddenly it felt like something had to bring them together there was a purpose in telling this story and so i killed someone (laughs) it's terrible somebody had to be dropped (laughs) yeah and you know i killed a couple people i you know it was merciless i won't say who but then i then i shan't as well (laughs) so but then when let's just for the 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 idea of the writing of it. So then when this happened, you you actually had to sort of go back, rewind yes. yourself through I many cut, pages. I'd and... already gone far past that in the book. And I went, I was lying awake at night thinking nothing's happening in this book. This is the most boring book. And I went back and, and, and changed it, changed everything about it, got rid of characters, changed the way I told the story. And, um, and I finally, f- then I figured the book out and it happened with Max. I'd written 200 pages and I cut it back to 50 and I realized nothing mattered except that this woman Alice would appear in the book as soon as possible and then in the story of a marriage the same thing happened something very surprising happens around page 60 and but did you also have to cut back like and is I went that all your all the way back yeah with a <laughs> go all the way back <laughs> well now well now that we've got you figured out for the moment Andy <laughs> now I've got it down <laughs> well thank you so much for being on the program Thank today. you for having it's me here and playing the Decemberist, too. It was great. <laughs> Anytime. It's been wonderful to talk with you. And um, everyone, you've been listening. Thank you, for Ann Arbor, for listening. Thanks to those streaming um, in Seattle, Chicago, Florida. Thanks to Jesse Johnston, as always, um, an impeccable engineer. Um, you've been listening to The Living Writers Show. I'm T. Hetzel. Um, until next time. But I'm here. With my hands on my heart And I found the ways kind of gray I'm your brother's sworn enemy But he shouts out my love to the stars So wait for the stone on your window Your window wait by the car Oh
de la cartera y volví los espejuelos. Se me perdió la cartera, no tengo más dinero, ya no tengo más dinero. Se me perdió la cartera. Sí que sí que sí. Se me perdió la cartera. 